Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy, and you have entered into the thing. Here we go. My name is Robert. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Robert. And it is good to be here. It's uh, coming down. Uh, I was so anxious to get here to speak. If for no other reason, the committee would stop talking, right? And if you've ever spoken, you know that usually about three or four days, it is with this crazy mind anyways, about three or four days, I start waking up at three in the morning, four in the morning, you should say this, no, you should say that, no, you should say that, and so finally when I get here, it's like, would you guys just make up your mind because I'm about to talk, right? So that's where I'm at right now. I, I think the most important thing, and, and uh, was it Charles? Congratulations on 23 years. Um, I have 13,032 days today. And because what we really have is a daily reprieve based on the condition of our uh, based on the condition of our of our maintenance, our spiritual maintenance. I think that's page 83 of the big book or page 85, some, somewhere in there. Um, and it's so important to remember, you know, it's it's easy to get caught up in the years and the decades and 30 days and 60 days and 90 days. I think that's real good. But then something happens when I get to a year or two years or three years. I want to say, you know, I just picked up a five year chip. Well, you didn't. You didn't right either it's every day it's one day at a time or it's not you know and i'm so glad that it is one day at a time because i don't think i could have made it a year you know but today i stand before you and i am a happy grateful recovered alcoholic and and i am for the same reason that every one of us are here tonight the fellowship of the program keeps me coming back in the first 164 pages get me well and it's the same thing for every one of us i was speaking to bruno before the meeting and with his with his time and i think it's 90 days and and what a i, I remember 90 days and i remember sitting on my hands and wondering if i could stay in the room because it was so hard you know because you said that i had to be honest and i had to be open-minded and i had to be willing and i knew that if I was honest, if I told you the things that I thought, the places that I went, the adulterer that I was, if I told you I walked out of my kids and stole from my mom and did all these things, I would be the first person in the history of Alcoholics Anonymous that you would ask not to come back. I was convinced of that. I just, I just couldn't tell you. I was so ashamed. I was so afraid that I, because I knew that Alcoholics Anonymous, I knew it was the last house on the block. I knew I had nowhere else to go. I had worn out my welcome everywhere. But I just couldn't tell you. I was so hurt and I was so ashamed. And, and then I would hear you share. And I would think, that guy's pretty sick. I never did that. I never did that. And I started getting courageous. And I started sharing. And the more I shared, the more you seemed to like me. And I kept coming back more and more. But you know, one thing I did not do, I, I wasn't rigorous and thorough from the very start. So I thought I could treat the steps like a buffet. 
you know, I would do a little bit of this, and I really admitted that I was powerless over alcohol, but I wasn't too sure of that unmanageability part, because I was doing all right, right? Didn't have a job, didn't have any money. I was getting divorced from my second wife. No one in my family would talk to me, but I, I was doing all right, you know? So, so I thought I could half measure, right? I know you said half measures of eldest nothing. I know that's what you read, but did you really mean it? Because I could maybe half measure this thing, right? I half measured all the way up to 32 years old and I was still alive. It wasn't a good life, but I was still alive. And at 71 days, I thought, maybe, you know what, maybe I could have a drink. I'm doing all right. Because I think the only worst thing, maybe the most dangerous thing, even more dangerous than, 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 a, than, than, a, than a drunk drunk is a, is, a, is a drunk with a little physical sobriety. You know? Because maybe, maybe I can have one. Maybe I can just go and, but you know, one is never enough. Because one quickly turns into 10 and 10 turns into 20 and one day turns into a week and, and the next thing you know, we never, we never see. We never see the rooms again and they never see us, you know. But fortunately for me, you showed me that there was another way. You showed me that where it says we thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. The easier, softer way really was the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? The easier, softer way was coming to meetings. The easier, softer way was becoming willing to turn my will and my life into the care of God as we understood God, you know. But I stayed out there because I tried to recapture that feeling of being an almost. You know what I mean? Where when you know you came from nothing and you always are a nothing and you're always going to be a nothing, but when you find that right combination of alcohol and the right time and the right company and the right mood, we're elevated to an almost. And right in that position of neutrality where I could be an almost, it was the top of the world for a person like me. So I went back out because I couldn't be as honest as I knew I needed to be. Therefore, I couldn't be as open-minded and, and I was just lying about how willing I am. I was willing as long as it was convenient for me. Once you started making me feel in ways that I didn't want to feel, all of a sudden I wasn't quite as willing. And I acted like I was open-minded, but I really wasn't because I wasn't believing everything that you said because one more time, I thought it would work for you, but if you really knew me, you would realize that it wouldn't work for me. And I remember ending up, but I got clean and sober in Las Vegas, you know, and, and I remember coming back to Anaheim, California in Fullerton Alano Club over on uh, Harvard Boulevard and a meeting there and, and uh, back, in, back in 88 or 87, I think it was. And I remember raising my hand and, and, uh, and I said, I'm Robert, Las Vegas, you know, out of town visitor. And after the meeting, a couple of people came up to me and said, how'd you get sober in Las Vegas? Right? I was pretty naive and more naive then. And, and I thought, well, how'd you get sober here? You know, so they kind of told me how they got sober there in, uh, in Fullerton. And I said, well, that's how we do it in Vegas, man. You know? 
And that was my first realization that we all get sobered the same, the same way. But I saw that picture. I saw that there was a way. I saw that there was some hope for me. And, and I wasn't ready to kill myself, and I knew I couldn't get drunk anymore because it just, it just didn't work. So I went back to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous on April 25th, 1986. And by God's providence, my sponsor at the time, Max, was cleaning up in, in the room where the, where the meeting was. Anybody ever been to Vegas? Anyone know where the turning point is in, uh, in, in Vegas? Uh, it's a long club that's closed down now, but, but, but I went back there and I, and I went and sort of just wanted to be in the, in, in the rooms, but I didn't want anyone to really see me because I was embarrassed. I, was, I, I just relapsed and I was just coming back with my tail between my legs and realized how dangerous and how lonely I really was. And Max saw me and, and we started talking and, and he knew where I was, but he didn't want to embarrass me. So he said, hey, just welcome back, man. What can I do for you? I said, Max, I, I really, uh, I need this thing. I said, okay. I said, but do you want it? He said, well, yeah, I, I do, but let me tell you the things that are going on. So I was going on need and need and need and he was trying to pull me back to want. Because if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. Some of these steps we balked, we thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. So I said, if you really want this, you're going to get on your knees with me right now. We're going to do the third step prayer, and we're just going to go full speed ahead. And that's what I did. And that was my introduction into sobriety. Prior to that, I was just sober. I was just trying to bide my time, waiting for the heat to die down. You know what I mean? Because we all get here the same way. I believe we get here through coercion. You know, the boss says, if you show up one more time drunk, I'm going to fire you. The wife says, if you, know, if, if you don't change your ways, I'm going to change the locks. The judge says, if you don't get sober, you're going to do 90 180, five years, whatever the time is. We all get here. We don't get here because it's a sunny Saturday afternoon and we think, I got a couple hours to kill. I think I'll go down to the AA meeting. You know, I heard they have a great time. So it doesn't really matter if you're new or relatively new to the program. If you've been around for a while, you'll understand exactly what this means. It doesn't matter why you come. It matters why you stay. Because based on why we stay will determine the quality and the quantity of our sobriety. Because if we stay for the right reason, the miracles that can happen are unbelievable. I, I can't begin to tell you one of the challenges that I have when I speak, I've been clean and sober for 35 years. There's no way I could tell you what's happened in my life in 35 years. I just don't have enough time. It's that good. Sobriety is everything I've ever wanted. When I first came in and I realized how alone and sad I was and started to do an inventory and talk about some of the things that were going on with me, I remember being five years old and crying myself to sleep because I was so afraid. 
at five. Something's wrong with us when we're that young and we're that afraid. And a lot of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Alcohol helped me go through life sideways just so I didn't have to feel the pain. And just so you know, I'm not a drunk along guy. <laughs> There's nothing ever good that happened when I drank. And I, and, I, and I listen to a lot of speakers and I hear some really funny stories. The only funny thing I can tell you about my, my, my drinking was that I don't know how long I was married to my second wife. <laughs> I, I can remember my address, 1425 North Mallard in Las Vegas, but I don't know how long we were married. That's the only humorous thing I can think of. And, and I, I, I had met my wife, my second wife at a Parents Without Partners meeting in, uh, in, uh, in Las Vegas and it was it was interesting because I was still looking for someone to fix me at the time, right? And, and I didn't realize at the time that, that I had a, a spiritual malady. I thought I had a female malady. And, uh, and it was actually a spiritual malady, you know? It was, I had a God-shaped hole that I tried to stick women in, you know? And it just, it just didn't work, no matter what woman I tried to stick in, no matter what age, what, uh, what, what nationality, it didn't really matter what, what their interest was. If, you know, if you were a female, I tried to put you there because I thought that's what was going to fix me. You know, I was so sad as a drunk that uh, when I would go to a bar and I would always, to the best of my ability, I would try to pick a, a, um, a bar stool where there was at least one, if not two, stools available on each side of me because I was convinced that somewhere in the course of my drinking, the person who was going to fix me would show up. That's how lonely I was. And I would eventually, throughout the course of the night, and this is, this is why I need to be restored to sanity, I, I, I would think, well, they didn't show up, and so I just thought I picked the wrong bar. I never would have thought that a person actually wasn't going to show up and fix me and make my life better, even if I had to fake half of it, right? But that's how, that's how we are. So here I am, five years old, I'm wondering why it hurts so much being me. And as I'm growing older and growing older, the pain becomes worse and worse and worse. And finally, when I'm 14 years old and I'm sitting out in my tree in Cabina, California, and hanging out with my friends, waiting for our parents to pass out so we were gonna get drunk that night. And the first time I drank, I drank because I could get away with it, right? Dean and Don and Chris, we were all gonna sit down and we were gonna have a drink like the big people do. And something magical happened that night. I realized by taking a drink, I would go from that state of nothing to be in an almost. And the first time I drank, I drank because I could get away with it. Every subsequent time I drank while I was still in my control, I drank because I wanted to feel like an almost. Because again, when you come from nothing and you are nothing and you're convinced you're always going to be a nothing, being an almost is everything. And I wanted to be that almost. And so I continued to drink and continued to drink 
And then finally, when I was 18 years old, January 3rd of 1972, I was going to high school in Corvallis High School, and I walked into the register's office, and I said, I'm dropping out of high school. And they said, no, you can't drop out. And I proudly showed them my ID. And I said, well, I'm 18 years old today. I can do whatever the hell I want. And that was the beginning of alcohol starting to make decisions for me. Because really what I wanted to do, I wanted to drink. Because that was the only thing that gave me a sense of relief. That was the only thing that would give me a sense of comfort. Everything else was like an accessory. Because at that time, and I didn't know it then, but I know it now, it became like breathing. You know, if you know anything about science and food and understanding set points, at some point we begin needing alcohol on a cellular level. And that was my introduction into needing to drink. It was no longer a drink. Father Martin in his chalk talk says that the Japanese say, first a man takes a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes the man. And that's where I was at. The drink was taking me. It was no longer a decision, should I drink or should I not drink? It was just a matter of how much drinking could I get away with. And that's the way my life began to go. I thought I could go into the Air Force. I thought I could get married. I thought I would try this job. I thought I would try that job. I tried to do everything I possibly could to try to fix this, to sort of quiet the madness, to tell me that every, in spite of everything else going wrong in my life, that in this particular moment, everything was going to be okay. I didn't, I didn't realize that I had an allergy, that, that, that the, the only thing that would eventually work for me was not drinking at all. And then finally, very similar to, to our friend who took his chip this morning, uh, or this evening, I had that moment of clarity. I remember in February 9th of 1986, and I'd already been to Gamblers Anonymous. I, I came to the back door of GA, and, 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 and that GA didn't work, just like Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't work, right? So, so I, I thought, well, if Gamblers Anonymous doesn't work, then, then I'm just going to drink and use. But finally, I started drinking more and more because my body needed to catch up, you know. I'd cut back my drinking because I wasn't going to the casinos in Las Vegas because I was trying not to gamble. But when I started drinking again, again, we have a progressive disease. Over in a considerable period, things get worse, they never get better. And so I started drinking more and more. And I stood in the mirror, in front of the mirror, on February 9th of 1986. And I don't know if you have a lot of people in your life disappointed where you hear, you hear them in your head, you know what I'm talking about? And they were like the tabernacle choir for me. And I remember standing February 9th of 1986 and I was getting up and I'd lost my job the previous night. I crashed at my mom and dad's because I didn't have any place else to go. And my mom and dad were gone. They were both at work. And I stood in front of the mirror and I started to get ready. And normally I would hear these voices that say, Bobby, 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 what are you doing? Every person had ever disappointed brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, you name it, they were all there in my head. And because remorse was running rampant and living rent free in my head. And so as I stood there that morning, I looked in the mirror and I didn't hear any voices. There was no one. 
asking me what I was doing. There was no one telling me that I was on a path of destruction. And for the first time, I saw me as dead. Have you ever seen yourself as a person who was dead? Not dying, but a person who was dead. And for the first time, I was afraid. I was 32 years old, didn't have anything, and I was gonna die. And like so many of us, the problem is we just don't know how to live. We wanna live, we wanna be like the people who have good relationships. We wanna be like the people who can show up to work and just do their job instead of smoking dope and drinking on the way to work. We wanna be those people. We just, we just don't know how to be. We're, 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 we're locked into a, into a grip of an illness that we don't understand. And we're just trying to cope so we don't have to blow our brains out. That's all we're trying to do. But this particular morning, I saw me as someone who was dead. And let me tell you how much it scared me. I grew up in LA in downtown Los Angeles. I remember living on Bunker Hill back on Third and Hill, right? I mean, that's LA, that's where I lived. And I, I, I know what bums and winos and homeless people look like, right? They push shopping carts, they drink cheap wine, you know? And I didn't resemble them, so I didn't fit the stereotype of alcoholic. But I'll tell you, when I went to start looking in the yellow pages, I started looking under alcoholism. God was intervening. God was beginning to do for me what I could not do for myself. Because I guarantee you, if, I, if it was up to me, I'd have never looked under alcoholism. But I started making phone calls. I started dialing the phone. Hey, this is Robert. I think I have a problem with alcohol. I think I have a problem with alcohol. I'm not quite concerned yet, but I think I have a problem with alcohol and I need some help. Will you help me? Well, do you have money? Do you have insurance? No, 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 no. So finally, I called up the Nevada Treatment Center over on Martin Luther King Boulevard in Las Vegas. And I said, hey, my name is Robert. I, I think I need some help. Will you help me? And they said, if you can get $50 and be here within an hour, we'll talk to you. Dang, I can do that, right? I mean, who, who can't get 50 bucks? and be somewhere in an hour. I mean, if it was regarding a drink or a drug, you, you know I could be there. I'd find a way to get there. So I called my dad and I told my dad to deal. My dad was alcoholic. My dad had been sober by this point, uh, about seven years. So I called him my dad and said, Dad, this treatment center will see me. If you can get here and get me there in an hour and give me $50. So my dad came right over, dropped me off in the Nevada Treatment Center and that was my introduction into recovery. That was my introduction into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I couldn't believe it because here I was in detox for seven days and they had these groups and they started introducing me to a different way of thinking, a different way of living. And one thing that I've come to know over the years, I developed a problem with alcohol in my alcoholism, not necessarily because I was destined to be an alcoholic. I just <clears throat> became an alcoholic because I was so lonely. And to this day, I know it was my loneliness, it was my despair, it was my feeling of wondering if I would ever belong that prompted my alcoholism. And it's interesting because we, we developed this phenomenon of craving, but that's for me, that's not where it started. You know, it was, 
It was, in a way, it was easy for me to not drink. But I had to solve the loneliness. I had to think that I was okay. But in order to do that, I had to do these steps. And I was, I was talking to Bruno earlier and talking about the steps. And everything I know, everything I have, everything that makes any sense to me at all is, con is contained in the first 164 pages. Of course, the doctor's opinion, the forward of the first edition, the medical view in the back. But I had to fully concede to my innermost self that I was alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery, which is even before the first step, right? So they told me, you're gonna love this. If you're not sure you're an alcoholic, stick around because you'll do till one shows up. There was a, uh, and we talk about denial, right? There happened to be a, if you're a particular religious persuasion, just remember that love and tolerance is our code, right? So there was, a, there was a, a Baptist, there was a Jehovah Witness, and there was a Catholic, and they were all in this AA meeting. And sitting over in the corner, and the, and the Catholic says, you know, if I just listened to my priest, I, I wouldn't be here. And, and, and the, the Baptist said, you know, if I just listened to my pastor, I wouldn't be here. And Jehovah Witness, or the Christian Science sat in the corner and says, I'm not here, I'm not here, I'm not here. <laughs> and that's how so many of us are, right? But I had to come in. And I had to admit, because by now, I had relapsed and I, was, and I was back. And I had done my third step prayer. And I was so afraid that I would drink and use again. Because when you're out there, you realize the enemy that you are to yourself. You see a side of you that can be sober. And for those of you who have relapsed and were fortunate enough to get back into these rooms, we see how much we need Alcoholics Anonymous. We know we can't drink because it doesn't work. We hope that we can be as honest as we need to be because in, in my mind anyway, Alcoholics Anonymous was the only thing. So the only alternative for me was to actually kill myself. And again, I didn't want to die, I just didn't know how to live. So I came back to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous on April 25th of 1986. And I began on this journey of working the steps and working the program. You know, and, and I was talking to Bruno again earlier tonight. Do you know that the steps don't tell you what to do? Do you realize that the steps are written in past tense? The steps are written to, to tell you what we did. Interesting. Interesting what we did because you know when we read the forward to the first edition we are nearly 100 right we had a hopeless state of mind and body <clears throat> to show you what we did is precisely why we wrote this book when we when we look at in 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 chapter five and how it works here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. Do you notice that about the steps? We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Every step is designed to tell you what we have done. Because again, it's a program of attraction rather than promotion. 
and 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 because you get so tired of somebody telling you, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to start making better decisions, you need to stop drinking. It's like, stop telling me what I need to do because I can't do it. But when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, they said, this is what we've done. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. And you know, our book is meant to be suggestive only. Do you know what the only alternative suggestion to work in the program is? You want it in? Go try some controlled drinking. That's the alternative suggestion. I'd want a couple more options, right? Because I'm an option sort of guy. But that's what it is. And that's what it is for me. I either work this program or I die a drunk. There's no, there, there's no options for guys like me. And we hear so often, and maybe you hear it as well, about the success rate of Alcoholics Anonymous. I call BS. Because it's worked for 100% of you. It's worked 100%. I have, I have, remember the Sprint commercial where it talks about the five? I think it was a Sprint or T-Mobile or whatever it was. I have five significant men in my life. I have Slow Will, he's my sponsor. I have Fast Eddie. I have Buddy C. I have Steve and I have Scott Shields. You know, between the five of them, they have 196 years of recovery. 196 years. It works when you work it. My sponsor, Will, on January 1st, on Saturday, he'll have 42 years of personal recovery. My sponsor, Jack, will have died three years ago in January of cancer. He died 44 years personal recovery. When you look at Texas Mike and Doc Herb and Abe and and, and, and uh, Pete the Greek and Russian Ted, all my Las Vegas friends, they probably, just the five of them, probably had 250 years of personal recovery. Yeah. It works. But I have to participate. I used to think it would be osmosis like everything else. I would sit and I would drink and I would use and I was wondering my, why my, wife, my life wasn't changing. It's because I wasn't doing anything to change it. So I come to these rooms and, and I believe in the 12 steps. I believe that half measures avail me nothing. Do you know that the, the 12 steps are so perfectly and beautifully written? And if you're not a student of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I hope you become one. You know, if you're new or relatively new to the program, I hope you understand how the opportunity that we have because when we look at the 12 steps, when we look at steps one, two, and three, <clears throat> it's about me. I have to admit that I was powerless over alcohol and my life had become unmanageable. I have to be willing to turn my will in my life. Or I have to be, be willing to come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. I have to turn my will in my life over the care of God as we understood God. Steps four, five, six, and seven are about God because I'm taking a fearless and moral inventory. I'm admitting to God 
to myself and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, <coughs> right? I want these defects of character. I, got, I want God to, to, I'm entirely ready to have God remove them and the shortcomings. Steps eight, nine, and it's about others. And you know, steps 10, 11, and 12 is about me. It's about God. It's about others. Everywhere we look in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's about me, it's about God, and it's about others. I tell people all the time, my goal every day is to become the best possible version of me through the power of God so I can be of maximum benefit to you. That's what everything is about in AA. It's so simple. Once we lock into that simplicity, everything makes sense. Because when I was out there ripping and running, nothing made sense to me. Nothing made sense. I didn't know why I was hurting. I didn't know why I couldn't be successful like you. I didn't know why I could have a... Now I know. You know, we talk about insanity. A definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You know, and today in my recovery, I do the same thing over and over again, and I expect the same result. And I like this way a lot better. I expect to have a wonderful day. Do you know why? Because I do a 10-step before I go to bed at night. So I, I have every expectation that I'm going to feel good in the morning. But if I don't do the steps, if I don't do them in order, it would be like putting a ladder up against that wall and you asking me to, to, to climb the ladder every third rung. I'd probably tell you I can't do it, nor is it very safe. And yet, I wanted to do the steps that way. Again, we thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. When it says in the big book, with all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Do you know why they were begging me? Because they knew that there was a fate out there that was worse than I could ever imagine. Because to continue in my disease, you know, those of us who are in this room tonight, there's what, 30, 40 men in this room. <clears throat> the amount of people who will die today from a disease that is arrestable is sad. The amount of men and women who will lose their wives their, and their children and their husbands is unfortunate because it doesn't have to be that way. Because we do recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And if you don't think you can recover then, you haven't read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because even from the doctor's opinion to the forward to all the additions and everywhere in the first 164 pages, we do recover, right? I don't need to be cured. Matter of fact, I'm glad that there's no cure for this disease. Because if there was a cure for me, I'd have stopped working the program a long time ago. And I guarantee you, I would not be as nearly as happy, joyous, and free. You know, I'm, I'm a person who is on his third marriage. And I've been married over 33 years. You know, I'm a person who walked out on his kids, his two oldest daughters, who sees them on a regular basis. I'm a person who had estranged relationships from his brothers and sisters, but I had breakfast with my brother this morning out in Los Alamitos. 
We, we are a people who would normally would not mix. You ever read page 17 of There's a Solution? I tell you, I love the big book. It gives me everything, it's given me everything. There's so much hope, there's so much joy, there's so much opportunity. Do you know in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that we can get well? I, I would never consider myself a person who would get well. But my friend Tom Bennett said, Robert, you can get weller than the well. And that wasn't grammatically correct, but it sure did sound inviting. And that's what's waiting for us. If you're wondering why your life isn't what you want it to be, the likelihood is you haven't been fearless and thorough from the very start. Because I, I know far too many people who have a life that is beyond what we could ever imagine. I'm the baby of, of, of the group. Again, the guys who, who came before me are still doing the same thing. I'm still doing the same thing. 13,032 days later, I'm still doing the same thing. You know who I was on the phone with an hour before I got here? My sponsor. You know what I was listening to on the way, driving from Salt Lake, AA speaker tapes. You know who I was on the phone with also? Guys that I sponsor. I sat in a restaurant, I had something to eat, I opened up my big book. And that's the beautiful thing about it. We don't, again, I was, I was telling Bruno before the meeting, the greatest thing about this is we don't have to devise another way. We don't have to say, Robert's here, what the hell are we going to do now? This guy is really sick. What are we going to do? We've never met anybody like that before. No, it's the same thing. And, and, and that's the simplicity. That's the most wonderful thing about Alcoholics Anonymous. Because alcohol doesn't care about your gender. Alcohol doesn't care about your nationality. A alcohol doesn't care about your ethnicity. Alcohol doesn't care about your socioeconomic background. It doesn't care about anything. So AA doesn't either. The most beautiful thing that we read is the preamble. Because it's that preamble that got me to come back. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that we might solve our common problem. If that was the only thing I ever heard, I would have come back because I was so fellowship starved. I was so, remember how lonely we were when we got here? Remember what it felt like when we thought, I hope this works because if it doesn't, I think I have to die. We might die by driving a car off a cliff. We might die from a 138 grain, nine millimeter round, but we're dead. Because we can't go on like this anymore. We're either gonna drink ourselves to death, drive off a cliff, or blow our brains out. But miraculously, we find these rooms. And again, the majority of us don't find these rooms. You know, one of the things I'm most grateful for, I call them the Jones family of five. I remember driving in Covina and Azusa and everywhere else in Southern California when I was drinking and using and just obliterated. I mean, high, not just drunk, but high. 
for days at a time. And I'd go through intersections. And next day, not even know where my car was parked. And I never killed anyone. Talk about fortunate. All the yets that were waiting for me that I never had to experience, but other people did. And I find myself to be so grateful just to be able to stand here today with children, with grandchildren. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. I'm going to read page 17 for you before I close. Because this to me says everything about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and everything that's waiting for us. It's probably my most favorite page of all the pages in the big book because it, it gives so much hope and there's so much inclusion and it lets us know that no matter who we are or where we come from, there is a place for us. We of Alcoholics Anonymous know thousands of men and women who were once just as hopeless as Bill. Nearly all have recovered. They have solved the drink problem. We are average Americans, all sections of this country, and many of us occupations are represented as well as many political, economic, social, and religious backgrounds. We are people who normally would not mix, but there exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are like the passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck when camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feeling of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as, as we go our own individual ways. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which now binds us, but that in itself would have not held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact for every one of us as we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. My name is Robert, I'm an alcoholic. Thank you.